Good morning, New Vision family. Oh, y'all, come on, 11. Y'all gonna have to wake up. Good morning, New Vision family. That's much better. Good morning to those watching online and at Buchanan. We are so happy that you are here. We know there are a lot of different places you could have been. Thank you for coming and spending some time with the New Vision family as we open up God's Word and to be encouraged by it and to go and live it out. I'm excited about this new series that we get to kick off today called Storied. As we see the king makes the ordinary extraordinary, and he uses the canvas of his people to do so. One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite novels of all time is called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's by Mr. Clive Staples Lewis himself, also known as C.S. Lewis. It's one of the most amazing stories ever because C.S. Lewis is able to do this thing. He paints the gospel through using these four siblings, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, to display us. And he uses this world called Narnia and a lion named Aslan to reveal the Savior. And so through a course of all kinds of different things, Peter and his siblings find themselves kind of displaced because of war. And in this house they move to is a magical wardrobe, y'all. And if you were my age, every time you came upon a wardrobe, you had to check to see if it went to Narnia, amen? Some of y'all are like, what's a wardrobe? That's a sermon for another day. But they make it through into this land called Narnia, and in Narnia, it is always winter. It's devoid of life because the enemy is reigning in Narnia, and the enemy is displayed by this white witch. She's heartless. She's cold. She leads you to think that she's giving you what you want, but it leads to your own demise. And so these siblings, through the course of finding out their calling and who they've been meant to be, one of the brothers, Edmund, finds himself in the company of this white witch. And she kind of lures him in by giving him something that he thinks is good. It's pleasing to the eye and pleasing to the tongue, but it ends up requiring more from him than he ever wanted to pay. And over the course of this, even though Edmund ran towards everything opposite of what King Aslan wanted for him, Aslan goes to rescue him. And he rescues him, but there is a price to be paid for that rescue. So I want to read a little bit of this story to you. It's found in chapter 13 of the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It says this. When the other children woke up the next morning, they had been sleeping on piles of cushions in the pavilion. The first thing they heard from Miss Beaver was that their brother had been rescued and brought into camp late last night. Yes, there is a talking beaver in this story. Just go with it, all right? And it was at that moment with Aslan. As soon as they had breakfasted, they all went out, and there they saw Aslan and Edmund walking together in the dewy grass, apart from the rest of the court. There is no need to tell you, and no one ever heard, what Aslan was saying, but it was a conversation which Edmund never forgot. As the others drew nearer, Aslan turned to meet them, bringing Edmund with them. Here is your brother. I want you to think when I read, here is your brother, think of Mufasa's voice, y'all. Here is your brother Simba. Okay, think that. He said, there is no need to talk to him about what is past. Edmund shook hands with each of the others and said to each of them in turn, I'm sorry. And everyone said, that's all right. And then everyone wanted very hard to say something which would make it quite clear that they were all friends with him again, something ordinary and natural. And of course, no one could think of anything in the world. But before they had time to feel really awkward, one of the leopards approached Aslan and said, Sire, there is a messenger from the enemy who craves audience. 
Let him approach, said Aslan. Because of the rescue of Edmund, the white witch, the enemy, comes to Aslan and says, hey, there is a price to be paid for Edmund in which you were rescued. We know that the rules of Narnia is this, if you do something that's out of sorts, you must pay the price. And as the story continues, we see Aslan, the savior, the hero, he represents Jesus. He goes and he pays the high cost of Edmund's rescue and redemption. And it's beautiful how C.S. Lewis takes his ordinary children's story to reveal something extraordinary, but he wasn't the first person to do that. We see that through many of Jesus' teachings, he takes an ordinary story and reveals the extraordinary through something the Bible calls parables, which a parable is just this. It's a commonplace theme or thing used to display something spiritual and extraordinary. And Jesus would do that all throughout the Gospels. And what we're going to read today, we're going to see that Jesus takes something ordinary to reveal something that truly is extraordinary. And the king is still doing that today through the lives of his people. See, we now are the canvas in which he paints on and writes on to reveal what is extraordinary. So over the next few weeks, over the next few moments, we're going to see how the Lord leveraged story to reveal something that was extraordinary. Not just with his words, not just with his stories, but also through his people. Here's my prayer for us. My prayer for us is that our hearts will be open and our walls will be down to hear what the Lord has for us. Because I believe that the Lord has a word for you today. And maybe for you, it is time for you to stop walking in shame of your past and to surrender your past so the king can leverage it for his glory. Maybe for you, you've never said yes to the rescue the king has offered you. Maybe today is your day that you say yes to the king. So as we prepare to open up God's word and read his word, let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer for us in the next few moments is that we hear word from you. Not a word from a communicator, but a word from you. Lord, may your spirit go before. May it open up our hearts and minds to receive what we need to receive. And Lord, may life change happen in this place. May redemption of stories happen in this place. And may we be a people that join you in what you have invited us to be a part. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles or whatever it is you read God's Word with, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, the third gospel. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And if you can't find chapter 15, it's after 14, everybody, and before 16. There you go. Be blessed. So where we're going to pick up this story is typically when Jesus would tell a parable, it's because someone is accusing him of something or questioning him about something, and he's trying to enlighten them and paint a clearer picture for them by using something that is commonplace and normal in order to reveal something extraordinary from the kingdom. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with some religious people and they're asking him all kinds of questions because Jesus is not doing it the way that they think that he should be doing it. They have their own way and they're trying to correct the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and tell him how it should be done, who he should be hanging out with, but yet Jesus is going to reveal to them his heart and that he has invited all to his table. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, says this. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Let's pause. What I love is we have the Son of God, the King of kings, and who is coming around him? Sinners and tax collectors. And tax collectors was really considered some of the worst of the worst. They were a part of a people, but yet they would tax their very own people. And so they were not well liked. And so the scripture starts off by saying, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. What I love is that Jesus allowed them to come near to him. He wasn't like, stand away from me because you were unclean. He welcomed them in. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How dare Jesus hang out with those who are lost? See, the king can redeem any story. We're going to do some new math. Are y'all ready? Y'all, that's when y'all answer. Y'all ready? Okay. How many is included in any? Y'all be brave. Some of y'all are like, I think the answer is Jesus. Thank you. It's all. It's all. So let me ask you again. I've given you the answer. How many are included in any? All. You know what all includes? You and me and everybody else. And yet that sounds so simple and we go, yeah, of course. He can redeem any story. That makes sense. But the question is this. Do you live that way? Do you live your life in such a way that you believe that the king can use all the brokenness, all the missteps, all the things for his glory? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he really can redeem any story, not only for yourself, but for others? See, these Pharisees thought to themselves, he should not be hanging out with those people. Those people are less than. Those people do not meet the standard. Those people should not be welcomed at the table. Let me go ahead and tell you something. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as those people, just people. Let me say it again, because some of you may have misheard me. In the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as those people. There are just people. And that is something that's encouraging, but also I want you to think about your own life. Do you have those people that you view as those people? Maybe they don't look like you, vote like you, act like you. Maybe they don't sin like you, and we have considered them those people. I want us all to be reminded of something. The king has died and surrendered his life for all people, even those people. And so maybe it's time for us to erase the those and just call people people. Maybe it's time for us just to go, you know what? If the king has invited all to his table and I'm called to be like him, then maybe I should get on his agenda and go and do likewise. Because the Pharisees are like, Jesus, why would you hang out with those people? And the king reminds them that he came, surrendered his life for those people. And so as this text continues, the king is going to reveal his nature and his heart. He's going to reveal his mission. He's going to reveal what we need to know about Jesus. So verse number three says this. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. See, what Jesus is doing, he is using what is very familiar to them. Because in this audience, there were people that were shepherds, people that knew a shepherd, and people that were related to shepherds. And so it's very much an intentional story. 
Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Here's something we need to remember about the king. The king seeks. The king seeks. See, sometimes when we read that passage of scripture, we go, well, Jesus is pretty irresponsible to leave 99 to go find the one, Jesus. What about the 99? Like, Jesus, you're leaving the 99 to go and found what was lost. That feels a bit off. And notice also that the shepherd didn't just put a number up and says, hey, if you lost, call 1-800-FIND-THE-SHEPHERD. No. He didn't do that. He went and he saw after which was lost. Why? Because it has value. Because what was there had been lost. That sheep no longer was walking in the invitation that the shepherd had given it. So he went to go find and seek what was lost. And here's the other thing I want us to think about. As we question about the 99, we go, why would he leave the 99 to go find the one? Well, for one, that lost one was in danger. There were cliffs. There were wolves. There were all kinds of things that were seeking to devour the sheep. And also know this. The 99 probably at one time were lost as well. So he went to go find so he could add to the number that had already been found. Those that were already with him were saved, but the lost sheep was in danger. And so he went to seek and find what was lost. The king seeks. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Let me pause right there. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Think about this. This sheep has run away. This sheep has sought after what it wanted to find. The sheep has ignored all rationale. The shepherd has told the sheep, shown the sheep that you do not go this way. You do not head after this. And yet the sheep goes and gets lost anyways. And what does the shepherd do? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and returns it home. That is crazy. You're telling me after the sheep has done everything but listen to you, you joyfully find it. Reminds me of this story. Um, and if you're a pet lover, you might not like the next three and a half minutes. But we're going to be honest. We're going to be honest up here in church, y'all. I'm the kind of guy that likes pets that are your pets, not my own. If you love dogs, I love them at your house, not my own house. And not too long ago, we had two dogs, and we got the first dog because we lost the dog, and we were like, wow, we lost the dog, and it was an impact, and then you have to tell your kids, if you've been there, it's the most horrible thing ever, like, hey, guys, puppy's not coming home. And they don't give you, as, they don't give you a parenting guide of how to tell your kids that their dog is not coming back. So we do that, and we needed some time to heal and to mourn that. And two months later, my beautiful, sweet, lovely, wise, wonderful wife said, you know what? Let's go look at dogs with the kids. Can I just tell y'all something? If you take your babies to a pet store to look at a dog, you getting the dog. Amen? <laughs> and so we're there. We're looking around. And then there's this dog that looks up at my kids and my wife and goes, hello, you love me. And then the, the person there allows us to hold the dog. And my daughter, my sweet, sweet daughter, holds the dog and goes, she loves me. 
Then my wife pulled this move that, man, she's just good. She goes, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> Y'all know how this story goes. We got a dog that day. And here's the deal. It was fine. Like, they're hairy, and they chew stuff, and they use the bathroom anywhere they want to. It's fine. But we're making progress with it. We're all, you know, sheltering in place. We're doing all the things, and things are going, you know, okay. Then my sweet, lovely, beautiful, smart, wise wife comes to me, and she goes, you know what I think? I think this dog needs a friend. That dog's fine. No, I really think the dog needs a friend. I'm like, ah. I don't think so. Y'all know how this story goes. We ended up with another dog. <laughs> and over the course of all of this, my wife gets a brand new job. And I'm working from home. And we have this great, amazing conversation that was so good for my soul. She goes, hey, babe, um, you know, I'm about to go to work and you're working from home. So you and the two dogs... Uh-huh. So let me get this straight. I'm hanging out with two dogs I do not want. Yeah, thank you for being a good daddy. Oh! And here's the deal. Like, I wish I could tell you, like, oh, I love them. Our lo my love for them grew. No, 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 no. Every day it got worse. Every day I was plotting how I could leave a gate open or a door open. I'm just being transparent with y'all. Some of y'all puppy lovers are like, I'm writing you an email. Write it. And here's the other thing. I don't know what happened. Something happened to me when I turned 35. I started caring about my lawn. I don't know what happened. When I was a man in my 20s and early 30s, it was like, whatever. But then I start caring about my yard. And now I pay someone to come make sure it's pretty, right? Don't judge me, fellas. Some of y'all are like, you don't do your own. No, I don't. There is no judgment in here. I'm walking in freedom. Don't judge me. But see, one of the dogs in particular, I think it just, I don't know what was wrong with it, but it started digging up my yard, y'all. And I would see it from the window on our back door. I'd be like, da -da 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 -da. <laughs> and I would yell at the dog. And you know you've hit rock bottom when you're fussing at the dog that's like, I don't understand English, whatever. <laughs> this one dog in particular got out one day. And I was like, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> Praise the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. But then you have these four other humans in your house that are looking at you like, what are you going to do about the dog got loose? You better go find that dog. And you're looking back at him and you're like, I don't like the dog. But you, trying to be a good daddy and a good husband, you go pursuing the dog. And if you've ever chased after a dog, you feel like an idiot. Amen. Because you're yelling things at the dog, your neighbors are going, praying for you. Well, I mean, it's, and then you get to the dog and finally it gets tired or hungry or just is like, okay, I'm tired of toying with you. And you get to the dog and I wish I could tell you when I saw the dog, I was like, oh, praise the lamb. I am so happy to take you back to the house. Now, I didn't kick the dog because it was too quick, but... My posture was not, hey, dog, let me take you back home. I did not put the dog on my shoulders joyfully and go, hey, neighborhood, what was lost has come back. 
That was not my posture. That was not my heart. And so when I read this verse, this text in Luke chapter 15, verse 5, where it says that the shepherd joyfully puts the sheep on its shoulders and welcomes it home, I feel like that is audacious. Because the shepherd has no business pursuing a lost sheep. No business. But yet we see this shepherd that goes, hey, this sheep has value because I have given it value. This sheep has a place because I've given it a place. This sheep is worthy of me pursuing it because I know the value it has and it reflects me. And it goes home, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. The king saves. As we look at this and we go, man, this doesn't make sense. We need to go back to the heart and the mission of Jesus. What was the heart and the mission of Jesus? That's a good question that you did not ask, but I'm going to tell you the answer. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the who? Put some bass in your voice. Say it with confidence. Yes. So we know what the mission of the king, what the mission of Jesus was. He came to seek and to save the lost. As I was preparing this message, a lot of times the Holy Spirit will, will, will intervene and interrupt me and even when I don't invite him into it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm reading, and I'm preparing, and the Holy Spirit kind of impromptu, kind of impressed this upon me. He says, okay, Nick, if this is the mission of the king, shouldn't it be the mission of the bride and the individuals that make up the bride? Woo. Y'all, I did not like that question. And then the follow-up question was, is it? Nick, is that a part of the way your life is lived? Do you live that way? Or Nick, do you like to pick and choose how lost someone can be before they're no longer invited? Or Nick, if they don't look like you or act like you or sin the same way you do, do you discount them because they make Really, what you're trying to do inconvenient and it makes you uncomfortable, or are you really about people who are lost like I'm about people who are lost? And I told the Holy Spirit to stop talking to me. Because, y'all, I don't like conviction. I am one that wants to explain away my conviction and give excuses for why I'm justified at feeling the way I feel about those lost people. But the king keeps reminding me, hey, Nick, you remember that you were a lost people, right? I'm like, yeah, but, but I've come so far, Lord. And he's like, mm, Nick, you still have not arrived. Nick, you are still in process. And Nick, my mission has been and will continue to be to seek and save what is lost, to restore what has been lost, to redeem what has been broken. And you get the opportunity to go and do likewise. Even if the likewise isn't what you would choose. Nick, the only prerequisite for you to reach out to people and to love people is that they convert oxygen to carbon dioxide. That's the only thing I want. In case you didn't realize it, that's everybody. 
Talking about the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan had no reason to go and pursue Edmund. Edmund had run far and long away from the king, but yet what did Aslan do? He went and he pursued what was lost. Why? Because what was lost was made in his image. It was made to reflect him. It had a purpose. He had intention. And so he went to restore what had been lost. Verse number seven. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The king saves and the king rejoices. When a sheep is restored to its place among the flock, it is rejoicing. Heaven rejoices when someone who was lost has been found. That is the nature of the king. He rejoices when things are restored. So for us who were running far from the king, who had been lost, when we decided to accept the saving grace of the king, heaven rejoiced. Heaven didn't go, well, Nick, let me remind you of all the wrong you have done. Yes, you've done wrong, but my grace is sufficient. And I'm able to leverage and redeem even the most broken of stories because you have value and worth because the king has given you value and worth. And now you recognize that. Now you're walking in that. And so now we will rejoice. Why do we clap when we see a picture of redemption through baptism? Because someone that was lost has come home. When we see that picture, we should be a crazy bunch of formerly lost sheep. Amen? We should go, whoo! Look at what the king is still doing. Look at how he's working. Why? Because we recognize that we used to be in that position of being lost, but we have been found by the grace and the intention of our king. In verse number eight, Jesus is going to put it in another way, something that everyone understands with money. Verse eight. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Let me pause right here. What this reminds me of, and I know y'all probably have never done this, but when you lose your keys, And there's always somebody when you lose your keys, when you go, hey, I've lost my keys. Can you help me find them? Then they do this. Well, where was the last place you had them? Dear Jesus, help me. If I knew where I had them last, I probably wouldn't be asking you for where they might be. I'll punch you in the throat. Don't come with me like that. And when you start searching for your keys, you're not thinking of all the obstacles standing in your way. You will throw couch pillows. You will move furniture. You will go to places that you never thought you would go to find keys. You in the bathroom being like, it could have gone down there. I don't know. There is no limit to what you will do to find the lost keys. Most of us don't come to this point where we're like, you know what, it's just keys. It's fine. I'll just get a new car. It's fine. No, we don't do that. Why? Because the keys have purpose and intention, and we need it, and we desire to have it so it can allow us to get to where we need to go. And when you finally find your keys, you rejoice, don't you? I'm not talking partially surrendered. I'm talking fully surrendered. Yes, Jesus. You are excited, and you might even find yourself going to the Starbucks drive-thru, and you're telling the barista, hey, I want you to know I found my keys. 
They're like, that's great, sir. I'm so excited. Let me buy the drink for the car behind me because I got my keys. There is much rejoicing. Why? Because what was lost has been found, and now those keys can be used for what it was intended to be used for. Verse 9. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. To be lost means being out of service. See, when a sheep is lost or a coin is lost, it cannot do what it was intended to do. It's out of service. It's not able to be leveraged and used in the way that it was intended to be leveraged and used. It is out of service. It's not walking in its purpose. It's not walking in the ways that the king has ordained for it to walk because it is a loss. And that's why the king spared no expense to found what was lost so he could restore what was intended. You might be first here. You might be new here to New Vision. Something you need to know about me, I like food and shoes. Amen? I do. And here's the thing you might not know. Whenever I think of purchasing a new pair of shoes, I'm very intentional with it. Like, I very much have a plan and a purpose for those shoes. I probably, if I'm going to full disclosure, I probably got eight outfits that I can already wear with the shoes, and I probably got a flat bill to match it. That's just who I am. But I very much go in knowing that I have purpose and intention. And here's the deal. Whenever I go to purchase a new pair of shoes, I have the means in which to purchase it. I'm prepared to pay the price for what I am purchasing. Why? Because it's valuable and it has a worth to me. And you might say to me, but Nick, I don't see that shoes have value. Can I just tell you, it doesn't really matter what you think because in the view of me, it has much value and I'm the one who is able to pay the price. And so you could tell me all the reasons why I shouldn't buy them and why they're not worth it, but I'm going to buy them because I have an intention and a plan for them. And I go and I purchase them and it costs me something, but I'm willing to pay the price because it has worth and value to me. And when I go to that box and I'm going to open it up to wear them and to put them on and to match the outfit that I've already have planned. If I go and I look in that box and there's only one, you might go, man, that's a travesty. And can you imagine how sad I would be because it cost me something. I had a plan for that shoe and I had intentionally purchased it for such a time as this, but yet it is missing a pair. It is not going to be able to do what I need it to do. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to search wherever for it because it's missing. And you might look at my journey and you go, Nick, it's not worth it. But to me, it has value. To me, I'm going to search high and low. I will look awkward. I will look audacious. I'm willing to do it. Why? Because it has value. And you might be going, but Nick, how long are you on a search? How far are you willing to go? However far it needs for me to go to find and restore what was lost. You might look at him, Nick, you shouldn't have to go into those situations. You shouldn't have to overcome those obstacles to return something that was lost. But I would tell you that it is valuable and it was worth the pursuit. 
And when I finally find that shoe, I might even post it on social media, y'all. But I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to say, hey, I want you to know what was lost has been found. It has been restored. And listen, when I put the shoes on, I'm going to walk around and say, you don't know the story. But one of those used to be lost and now it's found. And now it's walking with purpose and intention. Now it is doing the very thing in which it was created to do. And I have to tell somebody. See, Jesus used a coin and some sheep to display what the king was up to. And I used a pair of shoes, but here is what is true. See, sometimes we think to ourselves, man, look at how far I have gone and I feel like I am disqualified from the service of the king because all I have done. Maybe the king is going to use that very thing that you think has disqualified you to redeem and to call someone else to himself. See, maybe that posture of walking in shame and continuing to tell the king about all the wrong things you have done and how you have fallen short and how you have missed the mark. Can I just tell you, the king already knows. He is not surprised. When you tell the king, oh, king, you know I failed, he goes, yeah, I know that, but yet I love you anyways. Yet I'm calling you by name, and I pursued you, and I surrendered my life to redeem you. And so maybe that disqualifying thing will be the very thing I use to call others to myself. See, I imagine this, and I'm a little weird. I imagine that when that shepherd brought that sheep back to the flock, that sheep was like, bah, 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 bah. That sheep was like, hey, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what the shepherd did for me. I was lost. I was headed to the cliff. I was headed to the edge. But this shepherd who had no business coming to pursue me, pursued me. And then he did this audacious thing. Even though I was running from the king, he put me on his shoulders. He reminded me of his love. And he has restored me to what was intended. That's what kind of shepherd we have. And can I tell you, I'm sure... Those other sheep were like, bad, 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 bad. Woo! I'm sure that 99 was encouraged because they saw their shepherd do something that only a shepherd could do. And can I tell you about that one lost sheep? Probably when there was another sheep that was running towards the edge, I'm sure that sheep ran over to it and said, hey, I know the melody of this invitation to run wild and free sounds like it's freedom, but I'm telling you it will cost you more than you will ever know. And that sheep probably will look back at that other sheep and go, how do you know? You don't know my story. You don't know all the things in my past. And that sheep can go, actually, I do. Because I once was running as well. But let me tell you about a shepherd that redeemed me and put me over his shoulders and invited me to come back home. Do you know that you're invited home too? And that sheep might be going, hey, I've run too far. But yet that lost sheep that once was lost can go, no, you cannot outrun the grace of our shepherd and king. And maybe, just maybe, 
The Lord wants to use your story that you think is so broken and so disqualifying to call others back to himself. Maybe it's time to surrender it to the king and let him do with it as he may and redeem it for his glory. Or maybe you're sitting in this place and you find yourself in the position of the lost sheep still. You know that rescue is offered. You know that there's a shepherd who pursues you. But yet you're telling him all the reasons why he shouldn't pursue you. He already knows. How dare we think that we can tell the author of the story about the next paragraph? He already knows. Maybe today is the day where you finally just say yes. I will allow myself to be picked up in your grace and love and carried home. I will allow you to restore what was broken. I'll allow you to redeem what was lost. And I will come home. If you would, bow your heads for me. Through Jesus, maybe in this place right here and right now, maybe some watching online or at Buchanan, maybe they still find themselves in the position of the lost sheep. They have not allowed you to find them. They have not allowed your invitation to call them back home. Maybe right here and right now is the moment where they finally stop running and say yes. And Jesus, if that's the desire of anyone watching or in this place right now, if they could say something like this right now, dear Jesus, I do not understand it all, but nobody does. But the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you lived, a life I was unable to live. I say yes to the fact that you paid the price that I could not pay because I was bankrupt and unable to pay the cost of my brokenness and my sin. I say yes to the fact that three days later, after surrendering your life on a cross, you got up overcoming sin and the grave. And through you and you alone, I'm able to overcome sin and the grave. So I say yes. If you said something like that to the king right here and right now on the authority of God's word, not Nick's opinion, it says that you will be saved. Another way to say it is you have taken your seat at the table of the king. You have put on your robe of righteousness that he gave to you. And you have put on the ring, the signet ring of the family that lets everyone know that you are part of the family of God and there is nothing anybody can do about it. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, maybe in our midst there are those who have been walking in shame. Maybe today is today where they recognize that in the hands of a king, any story can be redeemed. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen.